Welcome, everyone. This is a Council of Institutional Investors Educational Podcast. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. I'm here today with Professor Preeti Chowdhury from the Eller College of Management at the University of Arizona. Professor Chowdhury is the co-author of a recent paper with Professor Daniel Obdia of Northwestern University and Noah Newberger of the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board. The paper is entitled, The Economics of Audit Production, What Matters for Audit Quality? An Empirical Analysis of the Role of Mid-Level Managers Within the Audit Firm. So I'll start by asking you, Professor, what motivated you to research and write a paper about the factors associated with audit quality? Great question, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Let me start by saying the views expressed in the paper and in this podcast are my own views and do not represent the views of the PCAOB board or staff. Regarding your question about motivation, we were motivated to look at factors associated with audit quality primarily because of regulatory interest in the subject. For example, the PCAOB put out a concept released on audit quality indicators in 2015. In it, they describe a variety of potential audit quality indicators, actually 28 to be precise. The indicators span three groups, one of which is audit professionals. That is described as the availability, competence, and focus in performing the audit. Globally, regulators and other parties interested in high-quality audits have similarly brainstormed a variety of potential audit quality indicators. The problem is that we don't have a lot of empirical evidence on which indicators, if any, translate into better audit quality or what the economic impact might be. That makes it hard for regulators who are interested in promoting high quality audits to know what factors to focus on in terms of inspections or policymaking. Similarly, audit committees that are tasked with audit oversight responsibilities have to make decisions about auditor selection, retention, and oversight of audit execution, but they also don't necessarily have any large sample evidence to rely upon that could guide their decision making. I believe there's at least two main reasons for the lack of empirical evidence. First, as you know, data on audit professionals, specifically the characteristics of the staff and execution of the audit, is just not publicly available to investors or to researchers. Secondly, it's difficult to obtain a reliable measure of high-quality audits. Restatements is a common ex post indicator that something went wrong in both the audit and the underlying company's financial statements. But it's a joint result of poor quality financial reporting systems and a flawed audit, not just the latter, which means that one could have a poor quality audit even in the absence of a restatement. By accessing PCAOB proprietary data, we were able to do two things. First, we were able to collect and observe some characteristics of staffing across a large sample of audits. The characteristics we observe are limited by the questions asked in the pre-inspection questionnaire. Second, we were able to evaluate the association of these staffing characteristics with not only restatements, but also with part one findings. 
The PCAOB issues a part one finding when they believe an audit engagement team did insufficient audit work to support the audit opinion. A part one finding is therefore an indicator of poor audit process. It does not imply the financial statements are misstated. This allows us to evaluate the association with an indicator of audit quality that does not also require a client to have a poor quality financial reporting system. Thus, we believe our empirical large sample evidence is useful to evaluate some of the theoretical audit quality indicators that regulatory bodies think may be associated with high quality audits. Such information could also inform future regulatory decisions, but also audit committees who are interested in high quality audits, but may not know which factors are important to consider when it comes to evaluating staffing decisions made by the auditor. Professor, CII's membership approved policies state that audited financial statements are a critical source of information for institutional investors in making investment decisions. Investors clearly want and expect a high quality audit of the financial statements of the companies they invest in. So what factors does your paper find are associated with a high quality audit? We study two primary factors that we extract from the pre-inspection questionnaire. The first factor is client experience or the number of years an audit team member has audited a particular client. On the one hand, client experience could aid in executing high-quality audits because the engagement team can develop a deeper understanding of client operations and risk over time, allowing them to better adapt the audit to such risk factors, improving audit quality. Alternatively, long-term relationships between the auditor and the client could compromise auditor objectivity and independence, reducing audit quality. Thus, it's unclear whether client experience will be associated with audit quality. We find evidence that more client experience on average is associated with better audit quality. Second, we evaluate whether year-round auditing is associated with audit quality. Year-round auditing essentially means that more time is spent auditing throughout the fiscal year or prior to the year-end. Many audits require testing after year-end. However, such tests must be done in a compact time frame to issue timely financial statements because, as we all know, there are 10K issuance deadlines. Therefore, year-round auditing may also facilitate not only better risk assessment, but also better adaptation to client risks, leading to earlier detection of errors and possibly even prevention of errors. Alternatively, as a teacher, we all know people tend to work very hard when an impending deadline is near. Thus, it's possible that year-end work is beneficial. And there's also mixed evidence on the role of risk assessment in audit quality. Our results indicate strong evidence that year-round auditing is associated with better audit quality. We further drill down these two characteristics we study, client experience and year-round auditing, to evaluate which staff members within a team might matter more. Every audit is required to have a lead partner that signs off on an audit and is primarily responsible for audit oversight and dealing with the client. In addition, every audit is also required to have a very experienced partner review key decisions or issues within an audit known as the engagement quality reviewer. 
Much of the daily work and execution of the audit is often overseen by other experienced audit members, such as managers, senior managers, directors, and consulting partners. So what we do is we disaggregate the client experience and time spent in year-round auditing across these three groups, lead partner, engagement quality reviewer, and other experienced staff to provide more specific evidence on who within the audit team might impact audit quality more relative to others. To our knowledge, there's very little evidence of who within the engagement team matters for audit quality simply because of lacking data. Consistent with some prior limited research on the importance of lead audit partners in the U.S., we actually find no association between lead partner client experience or time spent in year-round auditing and audit quality. However, we do find evidence that the client experience and year-round audit time spent by other experienced audit team members is positively associated with audit quality. This evidence suggests that the staffing and audit execution, specifically by the other experienced team members, is what seems to drive audit quality, not the lead partner. Professor, I'd like to better understand the potential implications of your paper's finding that experienced audit team members beyond the partner in charge of the external audit are important in understanding audit quality. As you well know, back in 2008, the U.S. Department of the Treasury's Advisory Committee on the Auditing Profession recommended that the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board undertake a standard-setting initiative to consider mandating the engagement partner's signature on the audit report. In 2015, in response to the Treasury's recommendation, the PCAOB adopted new rules that provide investors with information about the engagement partner participating in the audits of issuers. Those rules became effective in 2017. A CII was actively involved in developing and supporting the Treasury's recommendation and the related PCAOB rules. That support was based in part on the view that increased transparency and accountability for the external audit partner in an issuer audit was beneficial to audit quality and potentially relevant to shareholder voting on the audit committee chair and audit committee members and voting on the ratification of the external auditor. Does your research suggest that the PCAOB should revise its 2015 rules? For example, to require that in addition to the disclosure of the external audit engagement partner, the rules should also require that the mid-level managers of the external audit team also be publicly identified? Good point, Jeff. First, I want to clarify that the associations we document in our study are all evaluated in a sample that precedes the rules that you're speaking of, which require disclosure of U.S. lead partner names. It is quite possible that disclosing the lead partner names changes the incentives of the lead partner in ways that enhance their participation and therefore influence on audit quality. Our study does not directly speak to this. Rather, our study can simply be used as a basis to question the influence of lead partners in the pre previous regime. An additional analysis in the post period would have to be done to evaluate whether lead partners' influence on audit quality might have changed. What our study suggests is that in the absence of lead partner identity disclosures, and based on only the two characteristics we study, 
audit quality does not seem to be driven by lead partners, but rather seems to be driven by other experienced team members. In my personal view, disclosing the identities of mid-level managers on the audit is not necessary. Technically, the mid-level managers do not sign off on an audit. However, one might consider disclosing engagement team characteristics or the characteristics of audit execution anonymized, that is, without names. This would be potentially useful to investors to ascertain audit quality. I say potentially because we all know that disclosure affects behaviors in somewhat unpredictable ways. At the very least, our study indicates that audit committees should pay attention to these staffing characteristics when evaluating the auditor's performance. Further, our study questions whether continued regulatory focus on the lead partner is warranted. This gets back to my earlier point that the evidence of audit quality indicators can potentially help regulators in identifying future policy decisions. Our evidence certainly questions the importance of the lead partner in audit quality, but it's not definitive and certainly doesn't speak to revealing identities of the partners. Professor, final question. Putting yourself in the shoes of an institutional investor, what's the single most important takeaway from your paper? I'd say the single most important takeaway is that those interested in improving audit quality should focus on staffing experienced people on the audit that have more client experience and those that can spend more time executing year-round auditing. That concludes our podcast episode. On behalf of the Council of Institutional Investors, I want to thank our special guest, Professor Preeti Chowdhury of the Eller College of Management at the University of Arizona. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please feel free to contact me at jeff, J-E-F-F, at C-I-I dot O-R-G. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.